Right, assalamu alaikum guys and welcome to the Muslim Vibe podcast with the stand-in guy today because I am indeed apparently replacing Sister Afra. Uh, I don't know if this is temporary or permanent, but um, yeah, I'm also joined obviously by CEO, are you CEO? I'm the chief editor. Chief editor, I should know this if you're my bosses now, right? <laughs> and uh, so that's Salim Qasim. And obviously, go on, you might as well introduce yourself. Maybe. Senior editor. So not, not as big as the chief editor, but, you know, pretty, pretty almost, almost, almost <laughs> there. Yeah. Almost there. So yeah, Salim Qasim and Nori Sardar. Okay, guys. So today, we are talking, obviously, quite... Um, a sensitive subject and obviously at the same time uh, one which uh, I want to tread carefully with because I'm not going to claim to know everything about it but ultimately it's something we've got to talk about and that's Grenfell Towers, right? Um, a lot has transpired in the last week since uh, the actual event itself and uh, you know me and Salim were talking off air um, just initially about our thoughts uh, on the matter and since then I've had loads of conversations and researched loads of different things about this um, but let me just start straight off the bat, guys. Like, Salim, like, for instance, what do you think is the cause of Grenfell Towers fire? Like, because they started off by saying it was a fridge, yeah? A fridge which yeah. exploded. Um, do you still think it was just merely a fridge? I think, um, obviously, we've now had time and, and we've seen loads of different footage and whatever else. And one of the things that, that keeps kind of getting to me is, is, you know, when you saw the fire, like, rise up the building on one side? Yeah. I've never seen that before, and I saw a, I saw footage of firemen on their way to, to tackling the fire, yeah. who basically were all in shock. They were recording on their phones as they were driving, and they were they, they just couldn't fathom what had happened there. Mm. And I, I think it's got to come down to you know people have spoken about the cladding and, mm-hmm. and how cuts were made in in you know in the cutting corners essentially. Mm-hmm. And I, I think ultimately it seems to be greed. Obviously, there is an inquest that's going to take place, an inquiry, whatever. Yeah. Um, but for, to me, it just seems like greed. Yeah, because this thing about this cladding business, right? Um, again, like you say, initially I thought like this is some sort of just uh, almost like a really unfortunate accident where we didn't have enough knowledge about the material and things like that. But then I started doing some further research um, and I found out that in the US, did you know that that material is banned? Full stop, banned. And the same company which was operating in the US when it was banned was the one that's made 14 towers in England using that material. So it's not something which is completely apparently um, unknown to the kind of like, you know, the architectural world or, you know, construction world. Mm. Apparently, the foam and the plastic and the materials within it were deemed as literally, as I say, like, you know, inciting fire, you know, rather than anything which would prevent or, you know, slow down. Or or even if it was, like we said, the fact that nobody knows what, you know, um, how these react, you would be a bit surprised though that nobody would test it but the point being is that as I say it wasn't quite like that it seems from what I've now discovered um and then there's even more stuff to it which uh, really makes me wonder like you know for instance the fact that do you guys hear about the 2013 reports and stuff like in terms of the actual conditions of the building mm. and the fact that every year for the last four years they've been lobbying for fire prevention uh, kind of like you know measures to be put in place and etc et yeah i mean you know it's actually very interesting i mean it really hit home to me a lot because i grew up in the area west london um actually about maybe five minute drive from latimer road very close very similar oh, tower block as well right okay, uh, 20th wow, okay, to yeah. live yeah uh, i grew up there so i lived there for a good the first 17 years of my life really yeah um so when i first heard of the fire it really really hit home um and what was scary to me as well is that um I, I distinctly remember just after I moved out of my tower block, they'd done something very similar to ours where they covered it 
Um, I don't want to say with cladding because I'm not yeah, sure, yeah, but yeah, they covered yeah. it in a very similar way yeah, just yeah. to kind of make it look a bit more attractive on the skyline. Well, um, but this is an important point as well, the whole attractiveness thing, because, like, again, you know, I can't say anything in regards to, you know, because I don't live there, like, um, yeah. but people have experienced it. Um, I know it was a long time ago, like you say, were the same kind of sentiments expressed at that time, though, that, you know, um, you know, these buildings are an eyesore and etc. And that's I mean, the reason for this regeneration. I wasn't too involved in it, but I do remember um, a few of my friends' parents were involved in like the, the, the meetings and stuff. And then they were very, very, very much against it. From what I recall, all the residents were very against it. I, I don't I can't tell you exactly why. Yeah, I think the, the biggest issue for them probably was just the fact that it would take like a year just to cover it up right, while, right, right. you know, the lifts themselves aren't working properly and there's a lot of other issues in the building that need to be addressed. Um, and come to think of it, the fact that the council was so adamant on making it look nice on the outside as opposed to the inside, mm-hmm. you know, really um, uh, gives you that kind of kind of, kind of worry. Volumes, and I think yeah. that, um, you know, one of the big, the big, big debates and that, that's come out of Grenfell Tower specifically is that it was apparently, again, there's a lot of con- conjecture here, mm-hmm. um, but it was um, almost the the request of the rich areas around the building to kind of make it look nicer on one side yeah. you know in, in, in a general sense it's always great to have london looking you know it's just it's just good for good for the economy good for everyone um but at the same time like i said the biggest um you know the, the worst thing about this is that um it's sad to see a council that is willing to spend uh, they spent, I believe it was £10 million pounds, uh, on Grenfell Towers renovation on the outside. I've even heard £11.5 million was designated to the regeneration. But yeah. You know, £10 million, £11.5 million, yeah. it's a lot of money. But regardless, yeah. the point is the interior yeah. is, you know, needs a lot of work. I mean, I, yeah. I, I remember um, back in our tower block, uh, the lifts were so bad that mm. they'd break down. There would always be at least one broken down 80% of the time. Yeah, yeah. And we lived on the 20th floor, so we literally had to walk up the stairs whenever it was broken down. And like, and like... Like I said, they wouldn't spend that much money on renovating from the outside and making it look nice when the inside, you know, people are suffering. Uh, well, this really is, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate for a moment, right? I was speaking to a friend of mine who, uh, he's originally from East Africa, so like he's, um, if you like, an economic migrant or whatever term you want to place upon people who move to better their situation for whatever political, economic, whatever the situation may be. But the point being is, this guy came from poverty, right? He's now done well for himself. He studied, he's a dentist, etc., etc. When I was talking to him, he obviously had a bit of empathy and stuff, um, but he made a comment which, made, <laughs> which really made me cringe for a moment. And he said, but you have to also understand, a lot of these areas, me as a, a private you know, ho- house owner, I have to pay £800,000 for my house to live in a certain area. And I choose my area based upon demographics, schools, affluence, and all the rest of it. So what gives other people the right to live there on social benefits in such an expensive area? Well, the city has given them that right, hasn't it? Because if you look at West London specifically, and I'm sure many other areas in London as well, um, you have council houses side by side with the affluent houses. That's how the city has been made. Yeah, because, um, I mean, the next thing I said to him was like, so are you encouraging ghettoization then? Mm. And you couldn't see how I made the jump. Yeah. I was like, because literally what you're saying is then... Put them all in one area. <laughs> yeah. Let us live here. Let them live there. Kind of yeah. mentality. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's it's quite worrying. And, and, and the problem is, and this is something, again, we discussed previously, was yeah. that the whole dehumanisation of, of, I guess, people in these situations, in mm. impoverished areas, mm. there's that almost dehumanisation. And what's happened with this is that there are, you know, 150 families mm-hmm. that have been torn apart, that have lost everything. Some families entirely have been 
you know, wiped out, they've all, they've yeah. all, they've all died. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It's, it's kind of opened our eyes to the, the, the human side of things. Mm. So there was a story that came out yesterday um, about a three, three kids that were quite young in their 20s that decided to stay with their parents. Yeah, I saw that. Who wow. were sixty and eighty-two? Wow. Their, their dad, who was eighty-two, could barely walk, wow. and they were on the seventeenth floor or something. Wow. Gosh. And and they decided to kind of stay with him mm. because they were like, well, he's not going to make it downstairs, and and they were on the phone to their relative, basically saying, look, this is what we've. Been. They were really calm, wow. and 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 this is the thing now. So you know the conversations that people are now having about. Yeah. About essentially ghettoization, institutionalizing yeah, yeah. that. So clinical as so, well. Like. But but it's clinical because you don't see the people. Mm. Whereas for the last week, you know, since since the fire happened, mm. we've like had to see these people. That you know they've been on I our think, screens, um, and I think it's important. I mm. think Grenfell Tower uh, and the incident has definitely unearthed a much deeper, deeper debate uh, in this country about the relationship between the the poor and the rich. If you look at a country like America, for example, this uh, conversation is very apparent. Yeah, uh, much more apparent than here. Um, and again, when I went back to the area and I, and I kind of saw the place where I grew up, um, I never realized how deprived it was. Yeah. Um, I've moved out now, I've moved out just outside of London. Um, wow. and it's not a very affluent area, but as in it's like a normal, you know, a nice area, yeah, like, yeah. like any, any part of London, but going back there and I just, and realizing how deprived it is. And the fact that I did not realize how deprived it was mm-hmm. growing up there. Um, and, and I think that <coughs> one, one, um, disturbing debate that I find that it's unearthed or disturbing point of view um, by the uh, the rich, affluent, well-off, or even the hard workers, whatever you want to call them, yeah. is that they assume that people who live in these houses uh, and people that earn less and you know don't have as much opportunities in this country yeah. are people that don't work as hard. Yeah, which I completely disagree with <laughs> because course. you know I, I feel like these people, if anything, they work harder because you know they're literally working, doing labor jobs and doing God knows what, coming back to feed their kids, struggling to pay the bills, struggling to stay alive. Um, How and, many of um, us do three jobs at once? Yeah, know, like for minimum wage. Yeah, you know, like, of course. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, no, it's, uh, I think it's. I think a, a conversation that needs to be had, which is one that that has taken place in America right now, is about opportunity. Yeah. Um, and looking at what opportunities do these guys have growing up in these estates? Well, you know, again, that that's a, another really important point to to raise because back in the day, I used to like before I went into you know media and presenting and all that business. Like, I actually worked as um, a manager. Uh, of a youth centre in Brent, right? Uh, what is it used to be called Chalk Hill Estate um, is now called Poplar Grove. Um, but basically, you know, everyone knows uh, who's from around northwest London. Chalk Hill Estate had a really bad reputation, and under the Labour government, loads of money was thrown in to create, um, you know, social positive activities, yeah, I remember that very well. engaging young people, etc. Communication between, um, you know, the, the local councils and, you know, parents, etc. And literally we had like a two million pound complex out, like two million pound complex. The works, you know, I mean, like football courts, like, you know, basketball courts, you know, computers, everything, you know, classes every day. Minute conservatives come in. I remember the meeting being called in and literally told we've got no money, we're going to have 50% redundancies. Um, you would watch people who had worked for the council all their life, you know, in their 60s, who under previous governments would have got a big handshake, you know, and like, you know, some sort of almost like reward as they leave. Whereas instead, these lot were given a, like a cake and a card and said, basically jog on. Um, you know, it just the whole atmosphere changed. And slowly, slowly, as I say, all the services, all the public services started closing down. So not only do you now have young people sitting on the street, having nothing to do, but the parents were often the people who employed them 
often put through, you know, um, trainee kind of like um, almost apprenticeship schemes, like, you know, bringing them single mothers back to work and all this kind of stuff. All of that's lost. So like you say, going back, you know, this is a bigger and wider thing of austerity generally under the conservatives. And at the same time as that, you've got all that going on. And then at the same time, they're selling all the public housing to the private sector as well. So now you've got private management companies running all their buildings. So cutting corners. And again, Grenfell Towers comes under the same thing because we've heard it was a private management company. Um, so all of this stuff, I don't know, boys. Like, I mean, how do you how do you make of all of this Like, in regards to, as I say, um, because it's not just one issue now. Yeah. It is a larger, more kind of systematic issue. The, the thing is, my worry is that it's, it's going to get swept under the carpet or, yeah. or I guess tied up in bureaucracy yeah so that they've you know they've launched a pub- public inquiry and those things take years oh Hillsborough 25 years and, and what's going to happen is that, you know with Hillsborough what was interesting is you yeah. had a pocket obviously Liverpool do not buy the sun you know no one in Liverpool buys the sun pretty much yeah but you had a pocket of people and it became their life's cause mm-hmm. and the thing is you almost feel that like they themselves didn't get a chance to live and 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 experience life because they were just so focused on Indeed. on getting justice, which they should have had, you know, twenty five years earlier. Mm-hmm. But I'm worried that it's going to happen with with Grenfell Tower as well. In, yeah. in that people are going to be fighting for answers and fighting for the truth. It's going to take 10, 15, 20 years plus for that to come out. Well, did you guys see what happened down at the town hall? Yeah, um, the town hall. Yeah, we were watching that live. And I think, yeah. that, live, and I think that the 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 one big difference between today's day and age and, and hills and, and mm. back then was uh, is obviously social media and the power mm. of social media and True. and you but see it, people online are are very angry people online are, 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 are fuming you know but I, I and, think, and, and that is not something that can be as easily hidden as if there wasn't a social media but but, but the the added problem with social media is people's attention span yeah, yesterday yeah. all I saw was the Queen's speech that's true and the fact that she looked like you know yeah. she, she looked like the, the EU, flag. EU flag that's, that's <laughs> all that people care about everyone's, everyone's not angry anymore people are laughing about that wow. now right wow. and, and so so the problem is that give it a few weeks yeah, the only yeah. people that will care are the people who are there yeah. Yeah. right the people who live in that area who have that you know that unfortunate tower as an eyesore now yeah, yeah. And, a, and a reminder of the pain that you know everyone mm. went through that day and, and will continue to go through bro like we said just little things like you were mentioning to me about the cars yeah so so I, w- yeah. I was telling you night that you know the I went to kind of I was in the area and um, I saw a car and it had like a it had like a missing person poster on it and it basically said like you know this is my car if you find me please give me a call whatever and then I just realised this guy's most probably dead. I've seen his, his face, you know, on the news. I can't remember if he was one of the victims or just one of the missing. But imagine how many cars there are in the area that the council are going to have to deal with at some point. I heard the council were giving out parking tickets the next day after it happened. Um, but imagine these, there's, there's, there's so many cars and like the, oh, mate, as I said, like there's, there's so much um, that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. And it's it's going to be very painful, for, especially for the people in the area. We're lucky. I mean, we're only about half an hour away, mm. but that's, a world away as far as we know you know yeah. we're, we're sort of comfortable we live in our little comfortable bubble yeah. and like you say we can go back to our normal everyday lives and feel like we've done a little bit to contribute but as you say ultimately any family member who experiences these kind of things like as uh, Celine mentioned earlier with the Hillsborough they make it like their life mission they become an activist who campaigns and builds this charity and everything goes into it and you see sometimes after 20 years you can only assess it in hindsight was it worth it many people at the end realize that 
I don't know if even if it was because we haven't still got everything you know we asked for in terms of how can you compensate somebody for 20 years of campaigning mm. you know you can say all right you've now got the right justice but those 20 years have elapsed whereby you've literally not lived because you're just trying to get answers for something which essentially let me ask you guys a question do you think anything's going to change in london oh, after what's what's just happened I mean, there, there's, there's, I mean, part of me hopes that things will change. Obviously, part of me worries that it won't. Okay, well, why don't we look at the election, for instance? Mm. Do you think that's a sign of things changing in terms of? Do you think Theresa May and the Conservatives thought that uh, you know Jeremy Corbyn would have got so much support in the first place? Mm. Do you think that um, you know uh, they called the election because they thought it would be in their favour? I know, think I think one uh, very important thing that the election taught us is that people are very very angry very upset with the way things are in this country well not, um, not enough people because the, the, well, the Tories uh, still won well this is an interesting thing which I want to get <laughs> into still won, yeah, but yeah. as in the amount of people that did go out and vote for, for Corbyn and the amount of crowds he used to get and the amount of tracking he used to get and the amount of you know uh, and, and the movement he created is something that you know, haven't really seen here for, for a very long time and that's the point the fact that um, people <coughs> are obviously very upset and very um, angry at the establishment for the way things are right now and I think that is definitely something to, to look out for uh, in the future but but Salim's got a very valid point here in the sense that if you guys look at like um uh, like a you know they've got like these map coloured distribution of like you know the, the voting and whatnot, right it looks like the whole you know country is blue basically you know and you've just got these little pockets of like London and Scotland where there's a bit of red <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of like you know rainbow colours in there and whatnot. like the point being is that the majority seems blue and as a, you know, like a, somebody who studied politics very briefly and, you know, my formal education, I always used to remember this and thinking, why do we have this first past the post system? Because when you start looking at the constituency, you're seeing 42% conservative, 40% Labour. Yeah. You know, you're talking marginal differences. But where do those votes go? Where do those people's, like, you know, um, you know ideologies go? We have this system whereby literally it almost negates because you've literally just managed to, as the wording says, literally just made it first past the post. It's like a fractional, I'm just fractionally won, but I'm going to take all the power now. I just don't really understand that system in itself. And that's why you can see that all the Conservative votes come from rural England. We always think when we're living in cities that the world revolves around a city. Yeah, yeah. But we, you forget that the majority of the country is made up of lovely green, you know, middle class families. I used to live there. I used to live in Charmers Ford near Winchester and Southampton where I don't think I had a single worry about crime and all this stuff. You leave your doors open, like, you know, and most of these narratives they hear are about the big bad city. And it's almost like it's a different world away. And therefore, it's a lot easier for them to say, well, you know, the Conservatives at my private school is wonderful this week. You know, mm -hmm. like, you know, and it's, it's, it's just, as I say, you're not dealing with the same issues. And so, like Salim mentioned, or even like you said, Nori, like, whilst there may be anger now for many of the people who are affected or connected, the point being is the general public can easily forget because the majority of people have no kind of, like, connection to this whatsoever. Um, and, and that's what's worrying I think like, that's what I find really worrying um, and you know an example of that is what I was saying to you guys off air again um, in that so I was at Moss the other day right I was chatting to a brother that's always, that's always a promising uh, thing to hear <laughs> that's, all, that's, all, <laughs> yeah. that's all good stories <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Go on, go on. You're in the mosque. <laughs> so I was in the mosque the other day. And um, yeah, and I was having iftar with uh, in Iranian brothers. He looks even better and better. So and we I was literally chatting to my revert friend, who's English. Oh, um, so, really? Third one. Okay. Um, so yeah, I was chatting to my mate, and we're having just you know a private conversation about you know the, the issues which we're discussing here. And obviously, you know, when you're eating a thaw, you're very close to each other and people hear your conversations and it's welcome or anyone join in if you wish. So this brother decides to join in. But his first line of kind of uh, argument was, is, are you saying it's a cover up, brother? Do you think the media are trying to hide things from us? Because I was talking about the number count and the fact that this was now we know a lot more about the time where they were saying 12 people then they said 30 people and at that point we started seeing all those youtube videos about the fireman who lives in the area who said i found 42 bodies just mm, in, one, in room. one room yeah right so all this kind of stuff so the guy actually said to me and this is what i mean by it's indicative of the fact that people can care to a certain extent but how much do they really understand it because they come from comfort or they were previously in that situation and they've got out of it so it's almost like they don't want to remember those times i've met many people like that but he said two things which stuck in my head firstly he said it's inevitable that muslims would be the first people to help because it's mainly muslims who live there suggesting that you know they're mainly you know arab immigrants and etc north african immigrants and then all that kind of somali community impoverished muslims that I found laughable in itself because, again, people don't really visit these areas. Then clearly they don't know that half the area could be Eastern European, uh, African, Caribbean. It's a complete mix. Yeah. Then beyond that, the second thing, as I said, was the fact that he said that, um, yeah, uh, well, who is to blame? Do you think this is a cover up? Do you think you can really blame government? Because surely isn't it just the local housing authorities issue? You know, they're the ones who manage the buildings and all this kind of stuff. So again, there's a detachment from the fact that budget cuts that this left them in I, this I, I, I don't want to no, interrupt no, go for it, you, go, but go for it's, it, it's just the fact that people don't want to join the dots. Yeah. People will, will go, okay, well, it's the building manager's fault or yeah. the management company or the, you know, the landlords. But they don't want to say, okay, why are they doing that? What's the, what, you know, why have they decided to, to save £5,000? Uh, why was that such a big deal? Why was there not more importance placed on... The, the social welfare of people. <laughs> like he said to me, I'm oh, sorry, I'm getting agitated now, because he actually said to me, and uh, apologies to the brother, you know, I'm not having a go at you, mate. Um, I could be completely wrong, and I, as I say, uh, I'm just as much a layman in this, and I'm just trying to learn. But he said to me, he actually said to me at the time that... Gosh, now I've lost my train of thought. Well, what did you just say a moment ago? Yeah, social welfare. Social welfare. Social welfare. Yeah. So, um, so he actually said to me that. So, firstly, that in terms of um, like the the government, um, you know, and private management companies owning these buildings or whatever. Firstly, he didn't see a problem with that, and he said, "Well, then clearly it's not the government's issue. Now it's the the private management." But the next thing he said was. What did the regulations say, according to the private company? Did they have to put sprinklers in? You're like, what, 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 what? He was like, well, it, that is black and white, isn't it? You know, this is not an ethical issue. It's about construction laws and da 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 da, da. And he went down that route now. Because I obviously mentioned that 200, 300,000 pound, I don't know what the exact figure mm. is, but it's been banded around. That's what it would have cost for sprinklers. 4,000 pound apparently for new fire extinguishers. 
all these kind of issues, um, not even getting to the fact that they only have one staircase in the building as well, and we can go down that route as well, but it was his reaction more than anything, Salim, that mm. just shocked me. He came back with an argument for everything, which almost, you know, it's dismissive. It's sort of just put your hands up, like, it's not our issue, it's not our issue, yeah. you know, passing the blame, like you're saying, sorry. There was, no, there's one more thing that I've seen, and it was uh, from Nargis Mabalahi, um, who's been on this podcast in the past, and I think she either lives in the area or she was in the area quite a lot yeah um and and she posted a series of statuses on facebook and it was just quotes from people on the ground right. that she had been speaking to yeah and she's like i'm not here to pass judgment i'm just here to listen okay and and all she did was just share what they're saying not saying oh this was interesting or i agree with this just just listening yeah and the problem and i think the problem broadly is that these people in 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 that live in you know, in these conditions, they feel like they haven't been listened to for years. Yeah, yeah. And now this has happened, and suddenly people are, are, are focusing on them, but again, mm-hmm. they're not listening. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. not listening to what the people want. It's more yeah. a case of, as you say, like, oh, well, the regulations say this, but no one's actually thinking this is a human tragedy that we're dealing with. And I, I think, um, you know, coming to the end, it might be worth just playing out uh, Nuri's spoken word piece. Oh, yeah, definitely. Man. Do you want to... I, I, I didn't know you were doing this until you put it out there and were like, oh, please, can you share it? And I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. I didn't yeah. know you had such a talent. Um, I inspired you, bro. Well, I think usually as soon as I was saying, like, you run it by him first, they say, what do you think of this? But yeah, I just kind of saw the video. I was like, you, you, you didn't tell me? Yeah, the whole senior editor, chief editor. Thing. That, that did not happen this time. It was just no consultation. But yeah, good about yeah, it. I mean, um, to be honest with you, I, I, I went with... Uh, um, one of my good friends, who was also director of Muslim Vibe, um, to see the tower ourselves. Mm. And we made it very clear um, from the outset that we weren't going there to just spectate. We wanted, we wanted to see um, the devastation, really. I mean, you hear about it, but seeing it is very different. And seeing it in real life, um, between uh, in terms of, uh, in comparison to seeing it uh, on TV or online, mm. the difference is really just night and day. Yeah. You know, the feeling you get from just looking at it. Yeah. And like I said before, because I grew up in the area, I know the area almost like the back of my hand. Yeah. I know the people very well. You know, I know the, I know their the, their culture, their dialect, because um, I literally grew up there. Mm. Um, and just seeing it really just tore me apart inside. Um, we stood there for like an hour or so, and I was just speechless, really. Um, and uh, I got home. Uh, and I remember the whole night, I just, I just, I just couldn't sleep, um, and uh, I just decided to express myself the way I know best, mm. which is to write poetry. Mm. Uh, and then when I rose to it, I tried to go to sleep again, and I yeah. thought, you know what, <laughs> I, I need to record this. I, just, I, need, wow. I need to go out, and, and so I came to the, um, the office, uh, Muslim Bible office, and just, and just filmed it and just put it out there. What time did you um, film it? Okay, literally about seven a.m. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, mean, I, I didn't sleep up all night. All night. Wow. Yeah, I was up all night. I, I drove here six thirty, parked up. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's really uh, funny enough. Just last night, I was at home and I was discussing it with my family the spoken word piece, not to get you happy. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So, um, and like I played it uh, for my family because my my mum had watched it, my dad hadn't, and I had a few other relatives around. And again, everyone was just cu- quite like struck by it because yeah. what you did really nicely, I thought, was um, obviously telling your own narrative and story. Yeah. Um, but then also tying in some of the words of the people on the ground. So like Akala was in there. Some of yeah. the people that lived in the local area. I, I think that it's, the one thing I've learned most about creative art is that the best creative art will always be from your own experiences in yeah. one way or another. Whether you're writing a story or whatever it is or a poem, um, it's always your own story but just told in a certain way. Um, so I think that's why um, it had such an impact on people. Mm. Um, and yeah, I'm thankful for the traction and I just hope that it can make some, some of a difference.
Well, I think, like we said, like, you know, in coming to a close, like, you know, for all the speculation, for all the kind of, like, truth-seeking and trying to find answers, I mean, because there's so much more we could go into. I mean, I only just saw the first interview with the actual man whose fridge it was, like, today. Um, you know, having discussed that, you know, his thoughts and his opinions as to what happened. In fact, he didn't even have a fire alarm in his room. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the point being is that, as you say, nobody can um, kind of scrutinise and pick apart individual people's feelings and experience um you can't take away from the person that um like we said at the end of the day this is a tragedy a real tragedy which has hit so many people um in many ways and so i think yeah as you say in some ways probably this is the best way to voice and to continue uh almost uh, shedding a light to the issue um and you know because art is uh, something which then is forever yes so, yeah man so Hopefully. Yeah. deep stuff man deep stuff well, look, guys, uh, yeah, as I said, man, we, we could keep talking about this and I'm sure, um, you know, further, you know, along the weeks, you know, uh, more will come to light um, and, you know, um, these discussions will continue. But, yeah, um, yeah, I appreciate you guys joining me today. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, Thank you. man. So, I think we'll, we'll play out the video, uh, yeah. video after this, right? Yeah, let's do that, man. Let's do that. Do you want to introduce it then, bro? Title it, whatever. What's it called, bro? Um, yeah, so it's called Burn Skyline. Uh, obviously, it's a tribute to the Grenfell Tower. Uh, and it's also a love letter to my own experiences growing up uh, in West London. Um, so I hope that everyone enjoys it. Wicked, man. Well, this has been the Muslim Vibe Podcast. <sighs> ah, West London. How fortunate was I to blossom in your daylight. The beautiful council houses standing side by side like all shades of skin from black to white. Living in the shadow of financial might where Westfield blocked our view of the sunlight. Where neighbours spoke Moroccan and Portuguese without getting tongue-tied like they would when speaking English and we wouldn't have it any different. We never pronounce our T's here and we're pretty proud that we don't. Our parents worked hard. Harder in a day than Branson ever did. Coming back with paint on their hands to help cook dinner for their kids. We were the foundation that the rich stood upon, relying on my dad's labour to build that house that they'd sell for millions. The lift broke down from time to time and we lived on the 20th floor, but we just walk up those flights of stairs because in every aspect of life, aside from money, we weren't poor. We were full of life and I can't think of another place under God's sun where you'd find an Arab man telling his Jamaican neighbour to have a good one where the security guard of the building was Spanish because back then, London was still open, where the family that lived below us was Kurdish and whenever we see them in the lift, they'd have this big smile on and we had to be careful where to walk at night because hey, it's West London, but that was okay because we're all cut from the same thread, just trying not to drown and make it out alive instead. Recession hits hard and dad's out of the job. Now he's getting work wherever he can just to make a few bob. Rent is due, but there's not much we can do. Trying our hardest, but opportunities are far and few. Sound familiar? It should. Because this isn't just my story. It's the story of every West Londoner living in a block of flats that make up a tower. Although sometimes I thought that it wasn't the flats that made the tower stand. Rather, it was us. The diverse, hard-working families of the lower class. Working harder because we worked for our lives, not for luxury houses or flashy cars. This is clearly profits before people. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. That's my people. That's our people. Yeah, we're a community. They're a family. 
and they're burning to death. The tower was burning long before it set alight. If you see the charred building that looks like death, know that the ones around it are still burning, fumes consuming breath, the sprinklers hardly working in a building full of hard workers, dubbed the hardly working just because they are potential artists and writers working as builders. They died just like they lived, and that's no exaggeration. Suffocated and blocked in by the elite of the nation. As the world watches on almost helplessly and those who help less are those who own more. Sad to say, but it's the reality of both the poor and the almost poor. They begged for help, slamming on windows. So ironic because they've been slamming on the windows of the world for so long. Time passed and the building was burning ablaze with hundreds inside. Fathers, mothers and children of all shades. Burning in the negligence of a government that was warned that turned their heads, caring about money more than the souls of the burned. The people who died and lost their homes, this happened to them because they are poor. We are in one of the richest spaces, not just in London, but in the world. Repeated requests were ignored. There is no way that rich people live in a building without adequate fire safety. Everyone I spoke to who was out there couldn't hear alarms. There was no sprinkler system. Grenfell Tower ablaze was perhaps the first time London's skyline pointed to our pain and suffering, the ignored backbone of London kind, as their brothers and daughters looked on, hearing nothing but the screams of their loved ones suffocating, aflame both their bodies and their dreams. How sad is it? that this tower block needed to be aflame in order to be in the spotlight. Now in its place, some spot a burnt building, while others spot light. Because in all the pain, and all the ash, and in all the anguish and the wrath, we still know that they didn't die in that building, rather their souls ascended to the heavens, leaving their extended family, that is all of us, mourning and grieving, never forgetting why they were lost and why we're still living, because their loss of life shall be our beginning. We are sent from hospital to hospital to shouting. Why, why is there not a community house for family members? Why? Why do we have to go out there and look actively for them and then be told misled information? We want, want some to to you official public authorities to come here. That's what we need. And will you stay until you get that? Yes, of course. Yes. The media are scared to state just how many will be burying. And yes, councils are turning away or running away like me, but we the people have the power to make government sway. We demand justice, we demand answers, and we'll get them. The people that are responsible for this will get them. Because we, we are the people of our West London, the place that has given us so much joy and so much pain. But never any pain like this. After Grenfell Tower, for this country, nothing will ever be the same. And we, the hardest workers in the room, will make sure that justice will be served for Grenfell. Justice will be served for us all.